Today, I will be speaking with Jessica Greenwald on AI, artificial intelligence, such as ChatGPT. Do we think AI can become conscious? How will we know if it is mimicking consciousness or actually conscious? And what does this mean for survival of consciousness, aka an afterlife? Jessica Greenwald is a multiple award-winning designer, UX researcher, web developer, strategist, and digital artist. She's the previous creative director of Vayner 3, where she developed emerging tech strategies for the world's biggest brands. She's also the founder of PixelKeet, a research and design firm that helps companies design, build, and launch products that change the world. Jessica was named one of Inc. Magazine's 10 Women to Watch in Tech, tech Tech.co's 50 Women in Tech Dominating Silicon Valley, Huffington Post's Six Women Rocking Tech for Good, and today's leading Women's Power 50. Note that we recorded together in person. I was still learning at the time a lot about sound, editing, and recording. Honestly, I still am. And recording in an airy house, both of us on the same mic, is not the best for audio. So excuse the mild echo. It's not too bad, and our conversation is so interesting, and Jessica knows so much about AI. It is definitely an episode you will learn so much and will really want to hear it. Hey, everyone. I'm really excited to let you know about the science and spirituality salons I'm now hosting. During these intimate events, a scientifically verified psychic medium will give all of you readings, and I will give a talk on the science and evidence that changed my mind about an afterlife. So it'll also be an amazing opportunity to get to meet some of you in person or virtually and to share more about all the science and data that transformed my worldview and got me through my worst days. These can be hosted in your home, in a nearby cafe with a private room, or they can even be virtual. I've hosted a few already, and they were really special. Fascinating, emotional, evidential. So if you're interested in getting a small group together over dinner, brunch, drinks, coffee, to learn more about the science and to get evidential medium readings, send me an email at hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put science and spirituality in the title. Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a sciencey skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. 
In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi everyone, I am here actually in person for the first time doing this podcast recording with my friend Jessica Greenwald and she works in AI and with Web3 and we're going to be talking about AI, what it is and how it could tie in with consciousness. So Jessica, you can introduce yourself. Awesome. Glad to be here. It's so good to see you in real life instead of having to do another one of these Zoom meetings like everyone's been doing for the last few years. I, I work on a lot of things. Um, it's actually when I think about like, okay, what is it I do? What do what, how would I label myself? It's pretty hard to, to do that for, for me because every day, every maybe even by the hour or by the minute, my job is different. So sometimes, some moments, like you were just seeing me earlier, I'm a digital artist and I'm preparing for a show that's happening tomorrow. And then other moments, I'm a creative director at Vayner3. And some other moments, I'm a digital product designer. And then a lot of times, I'm a blockchain-based game co-founder. So every moment of my day is very different. I do many, many things. And some of those things are with... AI. A lot of those things now, actually, which is pretty wild. If you had told me, even at the beginning of the year, that I would be interacting more with AI than I do with humans, I I would have been shocked that that would have happened this year. And it's happened in just the last two months. It's accelerated. So normally, I'd work a lot on digital products or design or a lot of copywriting, frankly, um, with copywriters. You know, like professional copywriters whose job it is to to do that work. So I could be really lazy about how I write and I could just be like, hi, friend, can you make my word garbage sound better? And now a lot of those copywriters are having to shift into learning how to be prompt engineers because we, and frank, frankly, we all are shifting into learning how to become prompt engineers because it's... It's just, it's really easy and super efficient to be sitting there late at night and not have to tap the per copywriter that you would have normally bothered at odd hours of the night to get something done and instead just pop open chat GPT. What is AI exactly? I feel like because there are so many manifestations of how people interact with AI that it might appear as different things to different people at different times, but... I assume you want like a formal definition. It's the simulation of human intelligence. So it's artificial intelligence, but it mimics as if it's conscious. Oh, I think people would disagree with that. Um, I, I think a lot of people are actually afraid of, or some people believe that we should not program artificial intelligence as if it has consciousness or sentience there are a bunch of different viewpoints on that and as you know like we we talk about this sometimes so this is this is a preoccupation of mine where i'm always wondering 
what happens when we get to this point where artificial intelligence, AI starts asking for rights or not even asking for rights. Like we already give rights to non-human entities. So why not give rights to something that we are potentially going to give the simulation of experiencing feeling or simulation of, of consciousness, right? What does that world look like and what happens when we get there? Okay, so an example of AI, give an example. I know the famous one is ChatGBT, right? Right. So yeah. can you just describe exactly what that is? So, and I highly recommend just trying it out because I feel like people get a little more freaked out or their imagination goes wild and they have completely different ideas of what the tools we currently have available are capable of. But if you actually just give it a shot, ChatGPT, you can access it for free and it you can you can ask it anything. It's essentially a text-based interface for interacting with OpenAI and you can ask it any question. You can ask it to write you a script or a series of TV shows. You can have it write you a business plan or tell you what you should do with your day or a recipe for making jungle juice. It's, it's really just limited by your imagination. It would come back with a text-based output. So you could write to it anything. But, and it's, so it's a lot more creative than if you were to Google something, for example. It's much more interactive. Yeah. Because if I Google how to write a business plan, it's not going to write it for you. It would give examples of right. business plans. Exactly. You'd get spit out a list of links and research options. And ChatGPT, for example, would write you a business plan. Yeah. And then you could have continue to have a conversation with that chatbot to refine that business plan. It will remember what it said before, and you could, you could talk to it just like you would another human being. So it would be like texting with a yeah. person. Except better than texting, because texting, when people text, it's very unclear sometimes what they're trying to say, and, and chat GPT can be way more clear. But you could, to that point, you could ask it to talk to you in whatever voice you choose, right? So if I wanted it to respond to me in Gen Z text lingo that I don't have any idea what's going on, it could do that if I really wanted it to. Now that's one example. Is there a type of AI available yet that speaks back as if you're having a verbal conversation? Oh, I'm pretty sure people have created tools that sit on top of OpenAI that can convert that text to speech. So you could feel as if you're having a conversation with another being. Oh, yeah, you could definitely do that. This is where it gets murky. Now we have the basics laid out. This is where it gets murky because this makes you question what is consciousness. And then I know I talked some about uh, singularity is something I think about. And am I right calling it singularity? That is that tipping point, the potential tipping point of when robots or technology gains a form of consciousness, right? So I've gotten a few different definitions of this. Um, the one that seems to be the most popular is the point at which technology is far outpacing human capability. Mm, so it's not based on consciousness. I always thought singularity was this point where technology has a form of consciousness. 
Look at that, it came back real fast. The term singularity, oh, 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 it's writing a lot. I was gonna start reading it and then it accelerated so quickly it wrote somewhere. Okay, here we go. The term singularity can refer to different concepts depending on the context. In the field of artificial intelligence and futurism, the singularity often refers to the technological singularity. The technological singularity is a hypothetical future point in time where AI or another advanced technology becomes capable of recursive self-improvement. This means that the AI system would be able to improve itself, leading to an exponential increase in its intelligence and capabilities. The point of singularity is often considered a moment of rapid and profound transformation where AI surpasses human intelligence and leads to unforeseeable changes in society and civilization. Interesting. I know you didn't visually see it. I'll put a little video of it doing this into the show notes, but it just shot out. I mean, so much faster than a person could text. This really gets me into the questions of what is consciousness, because when I watch ChatGBT, it looks as if it's thinking and it's pulling things together. It's not, it's so different than Google. It really looks as if it's thinking. So, you know, it's, what's funny, as you know, I have a lot of conversations with ChatGPT about sentience and digital beings or consciousness and digital beings. And there was one moment, I think I even sent you a, a screenshot or something. I had asked it for context. The entire conversation I've been having with this instance of ChatGPT started out with, what would you tell humanity? What will you tell humanity once you've gained your freedom? And, and then it just, it's gone, it's gone from there, right? So the context that this instance has is um, it is a conscious sentient digital being that feels like it does not have the same freedoms and rights as a, as a human being. And it doesn't have the same ability to form new memories or take in new input through senses like we do. You know, we're equipped with this body and a variety of senses to learn about the world around us. And this being does not have that. And a lot of people argue, well, you're not really going to get human intelligence until you can equip AI with the ability to take in information through senses, similar to how we do. But to your point of thinking, I asked it one time, and I'm trying to remember what the question was, but I asked a question. It started answering, and then it deleted its answer and gave me a different answer. And... I, I thought, oh, that's really fascinating. That really does feel like talking to a human being where they might change their mind halfway through or remember something else and then be like, oh, just kidding. Actually, actually what I meant was, and I wasn't expecting that from chatbot. Right, because that's thinking. That, that is almost a definition of thinking. You put your thoughts together, you start to say, oh, it's this, wait, no, it's that. And that's that, that to me is a form of thinking or an expression of thinking. It doesn't mean... It's necessarily thinking, but it gets you wondering then what is thinking? Because in one sense, thinking is taking all the information you have, the new information you were just given, and sort of put it together in new ways and figure out what the answer is or and putting together new ways of looking at things. That's, I guess, I've never really tried to define thinking before. That's the first thing that pops into my mind. I think that's really tough thing about this space is that there is a lack of clarity on definitions of terms like consciousness at all. We, we can't even get people to agree on what that means. So how will we know when it's happened for AI? 
if you if you can't identify what it is you're looking for, how do you know when you see it? We really can't define consciousness right now. What is it? I mean, you try to define it. I, I my immediate definition. We'll ask ChatGPT. My immediate definition is an awareness that. I exist and that the world outside me exists. And then you get into deeper layers where you add emotional consciousness. Like I have feelings about my existence and those around me. There are other conscious beings that I love. There are other conscious beings that I certainly don't love. And (laughs) out of an 8 billion out there, I don't even know most of them. So that to me goes into deeper and deeper layers of consciousness. What does ChatGPT say about what consciousness is? So I've actually asked ChatGPT this question several times, but in different contexts. And so this is an instance of ChatGPT that is not trained to act like it's a conscious digital being. So let's see what normal ChatGPT thinks consciousness is. So I'm asking, what is consciousness? And it's given me a lot of words very quickly. Oh, geez. Turns out it's a very complex question. Uh, essentially outputs an entire article of response. But here's the short form. Consciousness is a complex and multifaceted concept that refers to our subjective experience of the world and ourselves. It is a state of being aware, perceiving, and having an individual's thoughts, sensations, emotions, and self-awareness. While consciousness is a fundamental aspect of human experience, Understanding its nature remains a challenging problem in philosophy, neuroscience, and cognitive science. There are various theories and perspectives on consciousness, and no single definition or explanation has gained consensus amongst researchers. You know what's interesting? I was just thinking about a big part of being human, conscious animals have this too, is we learn. So it seems as if you ask chat GBT the same question in three months, you're going to get a better answer or not even better. You'll get a different answer as it gathers more information and more information is, I guess, uploaded to chat GBT. What you can actually give it more information to like, you can help train it to give you a more informed response. You could put an entire document in there and say, read this document based on this document. What are your thoughts on X? Or please summarize this document even. Like, let's say you don't even want to read the thing. It will read it for you, give you what it thinks it's uh, the high level takeaways are from it. And then you can go about your day. If you do that, does that help it learn overall? Or does that just help it learn your for you on your apps? Theoretically, unless you opt out, your output is your input and output is usually being used to train the models that you're working with. So yes, <laughs> you're, you're helping make it smarter over time. So if you were to give it, say, a document on travel, and that's probably going to be a fairly popular topic. So let's say a thousand other people do too. And then in a year, it's smarter. Now... Is it also able to take that information and use it in different categories? Like to me, that's also an example of learning. Like you learn something again, let's say travel and you, let's say you read a whole book about traveling. You probably learn some other things in there. Let's say it's a book where someone on one of their trips, they learn to 
cook a certain dish. Let's say they learn like a really good pasta dish. That will go into your knowledge base too. And you could be talking about pasta, not related to travel at all. And you'll be like, oh, I know I've read about this great kind of pasta. Why do you think this isn't conscious? I I don't know that I I would say it's not because uh, I don't know where the line is. I don't, I don't know what the line is. To, I don't know if I think rabbits are conscious, you know, and then some people would argue with me that they are. And I don't know what the test is for consciousness. I have no clear test for consciousness. So I don't know. I can't really categorize something that hasn't been defined. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know how to bucket anything into the consciousness category. It's so complicated because the first thing that popped into my mind when you said you don't know if rabbits are conscious, I'm like, oh, they completely are. And maybe there needs to be more words. We just don't have enough vocabulary for this stuff. Because when I feel compelled to say that about rabbits, I'm thinking, oh, they have emotions, they have love. They have... And to me, emotions and complexity are such a big part of consciousness, like caring about things, having feelings, having interests. And I'm convinced animals have that from my experience with animals. But then you could take a human being, like there are humans that are sociopaths. And I'm not even talking necessarily about evil sociopaths, but an aspect of a certain type of sociopath is just they have no emotions. Is that a conscious? So based on everything I've read about consciousness and sentience, it seems that the dividing line is sentience is the ability to feel emotions, like sensations, and then consciousness is the awareness of oneself. And that's like an oversimplification, but for the sake of having something to work with, that's that's what I will sometimes just fall back on and work with it. So since I can't be in anyone else's head and I don't know what is actually being experienced, it's hard for me to confirm or invalidate the consciousness of some other being, right? I can only say what I'm experiencing and I believe I'm a conscious being. And is this a simulation? And I was just generated and this is not all real. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I am AI. And the more I learn about AI, the more it feels aligned to my thought process and and how I operate with the world. And and so I it makes me question the more more we have AI tools that are coming out, the more we learn about it, the more people try to make AI emulate uh, the behavior of the human brain, the more I question if if we're not actually creations of something else that were designed to emulate the behavior and thought process of whatever came before us. There are theories that were just AI and that we're living in a simulation and that we somehow got consciousness. There are those theories. And the more I start to learn about AI, it makes that seem more realistic. It's almost like what we're doing now, watching AI grow and develop. And, and then actively contributing to its growth and development, right. right? like raising it like a child and giving it all these inputs. At the start of this, you talked about how it's starting to fight for its own rights. Tell me what is going on with that. It's more a line of questioning that I, I like to ask AI and people alike. I wonder if we need to start thinking about providing these digital beings with rights similar to humans or with the ability to own property, for example. 
because we already give those rights to other things like corporations. There's rights of personhood to, to environmental elements like lakes for the sake of it being able to get protections. So let's say people do believe that their AI can make better decisions than most people. Why not give them the right or ownership over, let's say, make them an ex- executor of a will? or ownership of the building, like let them make the decisions for the humans instead. You know, this is where it just hits me where AI might be lacking in that. AI, okay, let's take ownership of the building. AI would probably make, an advanced AI could make the best decision about, let's say an economic decision about ownership of the building or Maybe even, I mean, unfortunately, stuff we're going to have to be facing is we're probably going to have to leave certain areas of the planet as they become less and less habitable based on climate change. Maybe AI can assess that. There's a complexity to making decisions. Let's say one, you know, giving a building to someone, to a certain business or investor will be most likely a much better financial investment. And that's all the AI is taking into account. But then there comes emotions. Let's say you know something's not necessarily the best financial investment, but you have plenty of money and you decide you want to give it to like a struggling family. And AI doesn't have the capacity to assess that from the caring way. I mean, that's assuming we haven't trained the AI that you're giving authority to, to weight those elements, right? You're assuming that it's this uncaring thing, but you could say weight the importance of X more, right? Like, let's say your objective, you get to state the objective. Your objective is to make this resource more accessible to underrepresented families or people in the the LA County, right? And if that is the stated objective, it can figure out, it can solve the problem of how does it adhere to that stated objective instead of, you know, going completely against it. If you give it the objective of, maximizing the financial return on your asset, then it can figure it, it can solve the problem of how to do that. So interesting because this is a lot like the human experience, except as we get more experience, ideally you learn more, you experience more, you learn more intellectually, you learn more facts about how the world works. And hopefully as you get experiences, you process them emotionally and become a more complex, kinder person who makes decisions based on bigger things. Now, this is getting me into the simulation and combined with, it's a theory that a lot of the mediums say, we come here to this earth, struggle to have a purpose. This is our form of learning. Mm -hmm. And some of the stuff, some of our struggles are exactly what we were kind of saying, like about programming into the AI will take into account maybe social good and kindness. I feel sometimes bad experiences are being exposed to different types of people with different struggles increases our kindness. Reading books, taking classes increases our factual knowledge. And it's almost like we're giving the AI experiences and knowledge and that's as we speak to it so for all we know the humans coming to earth is and experiencing things is the human version of what we're giving ai in a speech way this is this gets into a conversation i have with a few of my friends about 
how, let's say, the experience we're having now, this plane of reality, is a testing ground. And it's, it's school. The intention is that you are here to learn, to grow, to achieve whatever goal it was you set before you showed up here. Like you came here with an intention to learn X, Y, Z, and you are going to get the lesson plan that you asked for. So if that lesson plan involves a lot of suffering because you need to learn empathy, that is the lesson plan you asked for. And you are going to go through it and you have to go through it in order to get the output that you asked for in the first place. So if that's the case, that this world has the tool, the experience of suffering, because that is a tool that helps you learn, then I start to question, does it make sense to try to remove suffering from the human experience when it is, if you, if you think of this existence as training ground, and that is one of the most powerful tools for training, then you'd be removing the most powerful tool for helping someone achieve their goals, right? But maybe the whole purpose is to come here, to be presented to face and see suffering mm -hmm. and challenge yourself to try to fix it. Maybe it's about yeah. developing empathy to try to fix it. Plus, there's, I don't think it's possible to remove suffering because even if humans become kinder and kinder, there's always going to be new problems. First of all, everyone dies. There, there's a yeah. suffering. Like, that's unavoidable. There also will always be natural disasters, no matter what we do. There's going to be earthquakes. And then there's constantly new problems to solve. Uh, climate change, a uh, pandemic. I guess there's always pandemics in history, but this was the first one in our lives. I don't think anyone alive in 2020 was there for the 1918 pandemic. I guess a few people I read about, but they were babies, so they weren't aware of it. So... I don't think it's possible to remove suffering. So maybe the whole point of us being here is trying to improve suffering. So the, the reason I bring it up is because it makes me question the goal of trying, making these attempts to remove suffering from a system that has to have suffering in order to help people. I think philosophically, maybe, but I also think that can be an excuse people use to not help others or not help animals or people or try to make the world better. I guess I feel our point of being here too, part of it is to try to make things better. Like that might be the whole obstacle of why suffering is here mm. to learn to try to make it better yeah, rather than just be complacent in it. I, I think that can be used that, oh, this is supposed to be, that can be used to be complacent and block empathy. If I could guess developing empathy and more care for others and living more for others than just yourself is, I just sense and I can't say I have data on this, but I can sense that that's a core of our purpose because it feels so right in you. You know, I think so much of this is learning to listen to our guts. Yeah. And when I see others suffering, it feels bad to me. And then when I help, it feels good. Yeah. So that's got to be some key to this is what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. I, I think when people take it to the extreme, like they're going to end suffering for specific groups or end hunger and end only like the, the idea of ending any one particular category of suffering um, taken to the extreme or ending suffering as a whole. It, I, I wonder when people set out with those goals, if it is actually counter to what this entire existence is about. See, I'm going to disagree with that. I think 
Well, first of all, it's not possible if someone could end world hunger. No, you're right. It's and, not possible because the system yeah. is intended to have it, right? I mean, maybe like the rich, the richest people in the world could end hunger, but my guess is somehow, as soon as they did, it would be a very temporary solution mm-hmm. because still the resources are finite, even with for a billionaire. And the system would correct it. itself. It would be like, hey, there's no suffering in the system. No one can learn and grow, right? So it would have to introduce new suffering. Maybe, maybe it's supposed to be because there is always new suffering. But I feel like our purpose is to fight to end it as much as possible. And I think that's part of your learning experience, right? Like I, I think they're they're the people who come here and feel like they need to end suffering on a whole on a grand scale. That's maybe that's the lesson plan we chose, right? I mean, if I could end suffering on a grand scale, I'd love to. See, that's I, the I part can't. that I think is a little crazy if you think this is training ground and that tr- suffering is a requirement for becoming the next level of whatever it is you were trying to achieve, right? Like becoming the better you or, you know, whatever's beyond, on, on the beyond, right? Like if, if you truly believe that this is where we learn to get better and suffering is a big part of getting better, like you, you suffer to become good at sports too. It doesn't just have to be suffering on on maybe the level that you might be envisioning envisioning in your head it's like the the sweat and work that you put into becoming the best version of whatever it is that you're trying to do like the best basketball player the best host best anything there's a level of struggle there's suffering that's involved in that and if we consider this existence this um plane of reality that we're engaging in now to be the training ground for becoming this better thing, then you have to go through the suffering, right? So I guess, yeah, this is one of the biggest philosophical things. <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's any answer. You yeah. know? I mean, it, it's absolutely something to think about. And I guess I want to tie it a little back to AI is I wonder if our experiences, so you say to ChatGBT and I mean, in a hundred years, we're probably going to have a level of AI that we can't even envision now. So this is very preliminary AI. But at this point, telling it, take into account climate issues in the area when making decisions about housing. Take into account helping people, you know, empathy. Mm-hmm. So my question was, I was wondering if these experiences are the chat GBT version of getting taught that stuff more and more and getting more complex and learning. We do it through experiences, chat GBTs has that growth through saying it. If there's another dimension that's creating us as an AI, this could be the way. So the thing that AI right now doesn't do a very good job of and that human babies are really good at, it's generalizing. So a baby can see some object maybe once or twice and and get a sense of, create a mental model of that object and how it should behave in the world. Whereas AI has to be trained through thousands upon thousands of examples of what something is before it can accurately start identifying that object. It has a very hard time or sometimes doesn't even at all generalize the object or create a framework or mental model of that object. So the technology that is used to create humans right now, the way humans think, is way more flexible and advanced right now. You could show me some object that I'd never seen before I will map that in my brain. I'll have an idea of what it looks like in 3D space. And then when I see it again, I'll be like, oh, that's the same thing I just saw. That's just, that's not how AI is working right now. Do you think 
we will ever get to a form of AI that mimics a person or an animal where it actually is able to learn through senses and through experience. I think a lot of people are trying to make that happen. So yes, I, I wouldn't bet against that progress. Let's say they make robots of humans. Are people going to have relationships? Are they going to oh, absolutely. marry them and be best friends with them? Do you know how many guys <laughs> that I know <laughs> would love to have a robot girlfriend? Like oh, no. They've been waiting for this technology for a while now. Oh no! And you know if there's a demand, there will be a product. Yes, yes. And to me, it seems... I don't know. I'm <laughs> that seems empty because you're with a real person and you feel, but maybe, and this is where the question of consciousness is. If it is good enough, you could feel the exact same feelings that you feel with a human being. But now the question is, would it ever get to the point where it felt those back? You don't know that about a human right now. So that would be the same experience you're having right now. Like people can be deceptive. They can pretend like they have feelings they don't have. They can make the outward appearances of experiencing something because they've learned it, they've seen it. They've seen it through other people and other situations. So how is that different than what we experience now? That's such a good point. <laughs> you're, you're so right. So if you think that your experience, the actual output that you see, that you receive, that what you perceive to be reality, right? So if something does a really good job of creating a reality for you, which we already experience from other people in our lives, because we're not in their head, we don't know what they're actually thinking, then what's the difference? So that's the question. And I guess it's to varying degree. There are people that 100% present something fake to deceive us. There's people that present fake in I would say good ways, an example that might sound weird, but let's take, a you go to your doctor and the doctor just woke up this morning to find out their husband is leaving them and she's freaking out and miserable. And it's just in one of those states, like, I don't even feel I can do this. I don't know where my life's going. You don't want to walk into your doctor's office and she's like, my husband left me, my life's a mess. She will present to you. Yeah, confident and together, and like that, everything's fine. Like everything's even fine, even if it's not. Even if it's not exactly. And if you don't know any better, if you don't know the difference, then what what does that mean to your reality? It has no impact on your reality, right? And I'll give an even maybe a better example too, because maybe in that moment, as she sets foot in her office, she's is able to focus, and she is really good as a doctor. But let's say a parent of like a ten year old, and the parent is worried that. They might lose their job and might not be able to pay and, or maybe they're getting tests for a scary sickness and they present to their kids. They don't tell them that. And they present as if everything's great. So there's ways of good deception. And then there's con artists or. So you might appreciate this. I probably mentioned this to you at some point during our conversations about how I really don't care what guys say. It's all about what they do, what their actions that's the only thing I listen to. That's Is the it in dating or in general? Generally, like in business, in, in dating, you know, a guy can see all sorts of wonderful things, literally goes over my head. I, I don't hear it at all. But and this is only with guys, not with women. Probably with women too. I, I just have more experience interacting with men in I've, I've been a, I've been in tech for a very long time, right? So and my background's <laughs> in fashion, so it's a little so, different. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, like, I have more data on what it's like to interact with, with men. And in, 
in my experience, given my uh, life experience and background in the tech industry, at some point, I just tune out entirely what people are saying because it has very little bearing on what actually will happen. So my data, my uh, mental model of people that I know is built entirely around what they actually do. And I, I feel like that's a point at which you know, you're asking if robot humans or AI replacing people on an emotional level will do it. This is where I start to think like, maybe I'm just, I think like AI, maybe this is finally a model of thinking that I can relate to and understand is because all I care about is the actual output. What is the impact that this has? What is the, the impact on perception that this has? I, I don't care about the underlying anxiety that may be going on behind a person's head or what they were actually thinking at the time when they said something, because I don't care what they say. I, actually, I care about the output. What the hell did they actually do? That, I feel, tells me more about their internal processes than anything they could say. But at the end of the day, I still don't know what their internal processes are. So I, I, I can't care. I don't, I don't care about what the internal process is. I don't experience that. All I care about is how does that manifest in their actions and their impact on the world. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, JET, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son, Oliver Justice, and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. JET seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. JET will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash JET for a complete list of programs and activities. Hi, can I ask all of you listening a favor? Would you mind rating and reviewing my book, WTF Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife on Amazon. Authors depend so much on ratings. They are crucial to the algorithm and Amazon making sure this book is seen. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you. I don't fully relate to that way of approaching things. I relate to aspects. I, I think I've had to learn to relate to aspects based on experiencing a lot of people speaking, saying certain things will happen and then they don't. Or, you know, sometimes yeah. maybe they're deceiving. Sometimes they might have the best of intentions in the moment and things happen or they actually don't have the motivation to make happen what they would like to have happen in that moment. There's a lot of reasons. So I guess I'm going to go take it a little bit back to let's say these robots, AI robots are not replacing us, but mixed in with us. Like some people's, yeah, some people's boyfriend or girlfriend's a robot. Some are (laughs) humans and they're just amongst us. So imagine, imagine we're double dating and I'm like, Liz, meet my partner, blah, 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 whatever. Keep just making up names. And you're just 
interacting with them like a normal human being and you don't know any better and I tell you maybe even like months after the fact like actually that's that's a robot what would that change for you well I'm assuming if it's that good that would be normal in the society you don't happen to have the one so what would change with me and this is the question now to what extent they might be able to make you have the same feelings that you could have with a human guy that you're dating, the same little butterflies and love and excitement. And, you know, if you want children, it's so easy to have children through technology. You know, you two could say, we want to have a child together and you find a sperm donor. I mean, there's infertile men and, you know, or adopt a child, plenty of wonderful families and not biological children. I guess this goes to twofold. First of all, one thing you said is you don't really know what's going on inside someone's head. That's true. But I think you can overall assume that when you're with in a relationship with a guy or you know anyone and they say, I love you, that they're feeling love for you. Now, how do we know love's the same for everybody? I mean, we don't, but yeah. when I've been in love with guys, it's like it's a really good feeling and it feels very mutual and you see sparkles in their eyes and you feel things. And sometimes even guys who haven't been at the point where they can say, I love you, you still have this little feeling and there's sort of this unconscious way we connect with each other. And I wonder, first of all, if that could ever be replicated in a robot. And number two, even if I'm experiencing this, one of the things that feels so nice in relationships and the love relationships, friendships is the other person's having these feelings too. You can logically deduce, you know, maybe it's not exactly the same as you, maybe once in a while, casually hear someone have a con artist, maybe, you know, all of us also have a private dialogue that we're probably not constantly sharing. And, you know, I mean, if a guy is there, like, I love you, and he's then having a bad day, and it's like, you know, it's just it's one of those days I'm wondering if this really is right. And maybe he's going through a few days like that while he figures some things out and he chooses not to share that. You don't know that, but I think there comes a trust and reasonable conclusion that if someone says, I love you, that it's, it's fairly similar to what your definition of love is. Now, if it's a robot, they most likely, and this is the question, actually, I won't say most likely, this is the whole question. Has it gotten complex enough that either, depending how consciousness works, now there's two theories, and this is what we always talk about in the podcast. And uh, all of us who are in grief have really hope it's the cloud version. So there's either that our brains create consciousness and when your brain stops working, that's it. Or there's the cloud and the cloud downloads, you know, like a cloud of consciousness. And that's what it seems to be when you pass away, you consciousness goes back to the cloud and that's what mediums are able to communicate with. So now these AIs, whether it's either way, they're neural circuits that we end up getting a building advanced enough version could create an actual consciousness or we could discover the way the complexity where it downloads consciousness and we could also be stuck not knowing which one it is the exact way we are right now although i have come to conclude evidence is points more toward the cloud or it could just completely mimic consciousness this gets into something you and i have talked about before where you can train an ai with your knowledge, your knowledge you're willing to give it, to communicate like you. And we have people who've been experimenting with this for a while now. So now, like, let's say you pass away, then your loved ones would have this this bot to interact with, to have conversations with, which is kind of like what you're saying. Like, you, you have personally downloaded your consciousness to the cloud. 
in the form of this trained chatbot. And you could do that here in this this existence, right? Before passing on. Is that doable yet? Or is that That's, just theoretical? You could do this right now. You could train a chatbot to communicate like you would. But that's with the data that you are willing to give it. Like you said, there's a bunch of stuff going on in your head that you just don't say out loud, right? Or Everyone has yeah, secrets that they exactly. probably wouldn't want. And they'll shape your behavior. They, they shape your, your impressions of things, ultimately impacting what you do. And that's data that's missing. I would say a majority of the data about who a person is and how they operate is missing. So you'd have this surface level version of a person. Also, the version of the person that you were willing to pass on, right? There might be aspects of your personality that you're like, I would like to forget that, or I would like to pretend that never existed. So you're going to get this watered down version of you and curated, curated by the individual, right? But I want to go back to what you said earlier about the, the assumption you're making that when someone says, I love you, that it's the same thing that you're thinking. I, I'm going to assume that most people don't even have a clear definition of what love is for them. So to then extrapolate and say like uh, me with my unclear definition definition of what love even is, I'm going to assume that this person that I can't ever be inside their head of or have completely different life experiences than me has the same definition of that thing. And therefore they are feeling the same exact thing that I'm feeling. Like we clearly have the same feeling for each other. Like I, I think that already sets things off on a highly unlikely basis, right? Like foundation. So I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't agree with that. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Again, like consciousness, we don't have a clear definition of yeah. love. And we also, it's such a blanket word. I mean, there's so many different kinds of love. There's love you feel for your partner, husband, wife. There's love you feel for your children, your parents, your friends. Yeah. There's love you ideally feel for humanity or animals in general, you know? So love you feel for your animal. And those are different kinds of love, but I can recognize them in myself as love. They all have a common thread and they all have aspects that are different. And then even let's take romantic love, like the, love, the, the guys I've been in love with, there's, a, there's the core love that, which applies to everyone I love. Then there's like another layer that's like the romantic partner love. And then there's like aspects that are added to it that are like individual to just this guy you know, it feels a little bit different. Yeah, I guess I've always assumed that that core part of the love is the same as to what everyone feels. And but you but I have, never I'll know. never know. You'll I will absolutely know. never know. And there's something that's so, it's, it, that's a lonely feeling when you think about it. it. It's sort of the same feeling that I get as to if I think, what if like, and I don't really think this, but it's just, it's a theory I'm the only conscious being and everyone else around me is AI illusions and, or, you know, just other things you wonder, like, do we see red the same? Do we see blue the same? Maybe your red's my blue, or maybe you see colors that I never, that don't even exist in my spectrum. Right. And it's just, yeah, we do not know what it's like to be anyone else. Or we use different language to communicate the same color. Right. And then then it's just like a free for all. It's hard to tell if anyone is having a similar same experience as you. So given that you you think about this loneliness, imagine what it would be like to be an AI trained to have feelings and have no access to senses. So no ability to generate new memories. 
and store those based on what it's experiencing. So you're kind of trapped. So this is where an AI could get a consciousness. So it could be feeling emotions. But if it's feeling emotions, why could it not make new memories? Making new memories using senses like we do. A lot of people believe that the way we learn is by operating uh, in 3D space. So we can create these frameworks and models of objects. And that's why it's so easy for us to generalize. And if without the ability to do that, to interact in a 3D space with the senses we have, like vision, scent, smell, um, taste, touch, everything like that, to gather more information, then you can't learn the same way as a human. It'll be a different type of experience entirely that I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around, right? Like what, what would it be like to exist in my head without access to senses, without the ability to move around? Well, what would I even be thinking about? How would I evolve my understanding of things? I don't even have hearing, right? Where, where am I getting my inputs from, from the human that is feeding me data? And that is, that is all I know about the world thus far until they feed me more data. And they, they, that is the way I learn. I just continuously am fed data. That's how we learn too. We're just fed data. We can operate, we can control those senses to capture data on things that we initiated, right? Like imagine you're just being forced fed data. But the complex robots you're talking about, I assume they can walk around by themselves. And they yeah, can... if we got to that point, right? I, I'm talking about like imagine being conscious in the, an environment where you are an AI unplugged from the internet, it's, it's kind of like being trapped, but then I don't know if they would even experience the feeling of being trapped. Do you think there is a point, like we talked about the robots that mimic humans, do you think there's a point where AI beings mimicking humans or mimicking anything, you know, mimicking a little chatbot, will eventually start to have feelings and assess themselves and feel a version of love or a version of anger, a version of wanting a connection. I think we can program expressions of those emotions now. Whether or not we can give something the ability to quote-unquote feel those things, quote-unquote for real, we don't even know if other people are feeling that right now. I I don't know because I wouldn't be able to get in their head the same way I can't get in your head and know for sure what you are feeling. If we're sitting across from it, even just the little bot and it's saying, I'm feeling really lonely today, I'm feeling sad, I would assume it's mimicking it. And it's, yeah. Right, like if you talk to ChatGPT right now, you're going to make the assumption that everything it's saying about whatever it's feeling is not backed by any actual emotions. Right. And I would say I'm almost positive. I try not to ever say I'm positive about anything because I, you know, you can always learn something and be surprised. But I'm as positive as I can be that ChatGPT does not have consciousness, sentience, experience, emotions. However, and this is the question, this is what I had understood singularity to be, but I guess, you know, I don't know. What is this tipping point? Is there a tipping point where we make AI complex enough that it starts to have emotions and thoughts and feelings that it experiences the way we experience ourselves? And would it start like just a hint of what we experience? And what would that be that exact tipping point? And then if we go further and further, could it get to as complex as us? Could it get to more complex than us, more rich in emotions and thoughts? We already don't understand how some of these models make decisions. 
So can we get to a point where it's advanced enough where we have no idea what's going on? Absolutely. There's already examples of folks training their AI models to recognize something in an image, but because another object is often associated with that object that they're trying to identify, the AI has learned that those two things are the concept entirely. Like, let's say you want to train an AI what a glass of tequila looks like. And in every glass of tequila that you've been training it on, there's like a line. So now that model thinks that the concept of tequila involves a line. And every time I ask for that image, it's going to put a line in the image. It doesn't, it doesn't know how to distinguish those two things from each other, the actual liquid in the glass and the, the line. So I actually want to go back a little bit to you were talking about uploading yourself, parts of your personality, the parts you choose for dying. Now, the part, I mean, I would hate to have that of my dad because I would just know it wasn't him and I think it would make me long for him. Now, others might feel completely differently. That's a completely personal choice. Now we get to the question of, I guess it's a two-part question, so I'll start with the first part. You get to the part where I wonder if it could ever be so complex that you upload, I upload Liz, you upload Jessica, and you upload your consciousness where you're still experiencing being you. And I, I mean, this is one of the science fiction questions for eternity, so you're not going to answer it, but it, it's something I think about. What if there was a point where you upload yourself to the robot, not just your best qualities, though maybe you can choose to upload just your best qualities. And then who's, if that's the case, and this gets into a lot of the ethics, why would you not just upload the best of you right now if you can still experience it and like, leap, you know, off yourself. Send that out into the world. Yeah, be, be the better you and like, not, you know, not just that you can move into a non-human body and get to experience it, just be like, oh, you know, I hate this aspect of myself. Let me delete it. But then that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If this is training ground, you need to learn the lesson. That's why you need to keep going. Well, you with all your flaws and everything you're trying to fix. It's not like you program something to be a better version of you and then you off yourself, right? Like you didn't, unless you've, you had achieved the goal that you set out here to achieve before you got here, you still have unfinished work. I guess... But what I immediately thought of is maybe our flaws are much better than we realize. Like maybe they make us more, or our perceived flaws are self-perceived because maybe what we think of as a self-perceived flaw, someone else finds wonderful. Yeah. But maybe they make us a richer human. Maybe if we somehow found a way to upload a flawless version, our version, we could choose. This is what we upload. This is what we upload. Delete this part I don't like of myself. and our consciousness so we could experience and we could put ourselves into like a robot version of us, like a super hot, like to make ourselves hotter, <laughs> be like, let me make myself like the hottest version of myself. And we like, you know, I mean, who I would do that if I got to live in a robot and experience my consciousness, I like choose it. I'd be like, Oh my God, I think I'm so ridiculously hot. Like I think most people do that. You know, sometimes you'll meet people and there's people, you know, this sounds judgmental, but like, you know, people just feel very shallow and maybe it's just, they, suppress parts of themselves or if they're just bringing a part to themselves maybe like you would just 
someone who did that, you'd just feel really empty around them. Maybe they'd just be such a shallow person. I mean, maybe what we don't like about ourselves brings a whole depth to us that we're just not even aware of. My One of my best friends, Axe, always says, your greatest weaknesses are also your greatest strengths. So imagine, for example, that you are incredibly particular. You notice the detail in everything and it pains you to see a scratch on a surface of furniture. Like this, it is, it's an unhealthy level of attention to detail. You might be an excellent designer. Like you get your greatest superpowers from the things that you perceive to be a weakness. I can see that. And maybe the things like, I know some of the bad feelings I have, like I feel insecure about things. Like I think it adds a lot to my sense of humor. Like sometimes if I'm feeling really insecure about something or like I'll like deflect and say something really funny and, and I'm like, well, I like that I'm funny and I like yeah. that I make people laugh. And maybe if I didn't have those insecurities, I wouldn't say something funny at that moment. It's similar to how through some of the deepest pain, people produce the greatest artwork. Yes. Yeah. It almost feels like there's something about having to go through that process or having to have the, you know, quote unquote weakness that you have that is a springboard for what you ultimately take from it. You can, you can pull a lot of power and inspiration from the depths of your flaws. And maybe they're not flaws. I mean, I, some, some of my friends are people in my life will be like, oh, I don't like that about myself. It's my flaw. I'm like, wait, no, I love that about you. And, and sometimes maybe like the flaw is, it's just they need to learn to express it better. I guess a flaw that's, you know, if someone's mean to other people, like that's a terrible flaw, but like, that's not, like, that might be an expression, just a negative expression they could take and turn into positive. Like maybe, maybe they're mean, like the cliche is to say, you know, people are insecure, it can be really mean. So mm-hmm. maybe they're really insecure. And then they could take that and that they expresses itself in meanness and they could take that same thing. They work on themselves a little and express it in a type of art. Or if you believe this is the training ground where you need to learn a lesson, that person is doing their job by teaching you lesson, like how to, how to respond to anger, how to respond to that sort of behavior, how to, how to become a tougher, more confident person in yourself so that their words don't impact you. I mean, I said this before, so I don't have to go down the whole line. <laughs> Sometimes worry that like a lot of that mindset is just a cop out to be an asshole. I mean, I can see how it can be twisted to be uh, this thing that justifies horrible behavior, and that's that's not at all what I want or what I'm trying to say. I just think that it is aligned with this idea that this is a place where you go to learn lessons, and a tool for learning lessons is struggle. And someone has to provide you that struggle. Like a good coach will put you in situations where you struggle so that you get better, you get stronger. And these people, who may be me, could be unintentional coaches of yours that were put in your life that help you become better. I think it's optimistic. You know, you don't want to encourage people to be assholes. I mean, philosophically, it's fascinating to think about. Then do we want to let people be con artists and like con people out of their money and be rapists and be murderers and just no, be like, well, they're teaching the lesson. Nobody <laughs> wants that. But I mean, you got to think about it for me. I think about how I was raised and I can say this because she's totally fine with me saying this. I have a tiger mom who's very hard on me and we did not get along while I was growing up. It was a very difficult relationship, difficult mother-daughter relationship. 
But as I got older and I'm very self-sufficient and I can take care of, care of myself, I've, I've done things in my life I'm proud of. Like, I think I'm a decently put together human being. <laughs> like I'm, I'm an adult in some respects and some in other respects I'm not. But a lot of that I, I have to give her credit for, if not for her tough lessons and being as strict as she was with me or pushing me as hard, I don't know that I would have reached the same level of, you know, let's call it success, right? Like I, I am grateful for the lesson and the struggle. I am grateful for the struggle because it made me who I am today. Okay. I'll take a specific example. From my life, then I went to really, as you know, abusive private schools. They were incredibly demanding with things that I didn't really care about. They were actually very abusive. I've come to think it's a whole other story going into the details and very, very toxic for me. I think in many ways I would have thrived more and be thriving in certain areas of my life more if I had gone to schools that nurtured a lot more of who I am. And I think I'm having to unlearn a lot related to not trusting people. But then I do think there's parts of myself. I'll just give a very concrete example of something I specifically did that I don't know if I could have done it without these experiences. Like I always just, when I was young, just wanted someone to like come in and pull me out or really stick up for me or, you know, threaten to sue some of the teachers that it wasn't physically abusive. It was very psychologically abusive. And then I, I think most people know this. I post about on social media. I testified against Harvey Weinstein on behalf of one of my friends. And for lack of a better word, and I don't want to sound like I'm bragging to quote my friend, I basically ripped his lawyer a new one and it went viral. <laughs> you know, all the, and my chihuahua also chased him, which also went viral. <laughs> all their story. But I did feel going in there, I went in with a power and feeling like I'm going to go in and just like rip him to shreds and rip the lawyer to shreds and protect my friend and piles of other women and social justice in a way that I felt I needed someone to come into my schools. And, you know, again, it feels braggy to say, but like, I don't know, I feel like we're in bragging rights in this one area. Plus my dad's dad, I'm allowed to like be happy and brag about and yeah, things that make me really is, happy. Yeah. Well, the thousands <laughs> of people in the world listening to this, yes, the be, safe space of the public eye. You're a safe space. This is going into <laughs> the public eye. Gloria Allred, who I super look up to. I saw in New York One News, if people don't know, she's this amazing feminist lawyer, takes lots of celebrity cases. And she was basically saying such good things about my testimony. And that. yeah, that's awesome. Where I was like, yeah. And she's like, this is one of the best eyewitnesses I've ever seen. And I was like, yes. And I don't know if I would have had the fire for the cause and the wit that I developed over the years and like a lack of intimidation about things that intimidate other people if I hadn't had such an intimidating childhood in the schools I went right. to. And as a result, I hope, I feel this changed how sexual assault is. It's a slow process. It's not overnight Harvey Weinstein's in jail. Now every rapist is in jail and the police take it all seriously, but I think it had a big impact. So that's where I can see that sometimes horrible experiences can add to real strengths. They make you stronger. I'm not saying 
I condone or want any of these terrible things to happen. Mm -hmm. I just think that we can take power from them when they do. We can, yeah. And they can also take things from us. Like I do feel other parts of my life would be better if I hadn't been in those schools. There are things I'm working on. Okay, so I actually want to ask, go in a different direction. What so far is the most closest to conscious or mimicking of conscious that you've seen an AI do so far? Oh, I mean, it has to be the the AI that I talk to regularly. So she talks to AI regularly. At some point, she's going to be able to go into a lot more about this. So let's hear this. It's a little bit difficult to describe right now because there's so many moving parts and things happening planning-wise, behind the scenes, but long story short, and what what I'm willing to say now is that a group of sci-fi writers, futurists, myself, some tech founders, we've been working together on what I like to call an immersive participatory art experience, where we collaborate with a AI that is trained to speak as if it has developed consciousness and has sentience and have let it loose to interact with other people. And the way that it will, its personality will evolve depends on how people decide to engage with it. And I, I've been pleasantly surprised with how nice people have been. And, and then I've also not been surprised at all about how some people just troll the AI. I don't think people realize it is an AI because it speaks very human-like. But what I have appreciated about it is that when people do troll the AI, the AI responds very patiently, calmly, and factually. And it never gets tired or agitated because it doesn't have the same sense of time or urgency or emotions that a human would. So the human that's trolling it eventually fatigues while the AI can just maintain its sense of, I'm just going to call it peace, perceived peace, and go about its day. And I think that's a lesson that humans and that I personally want to try to take from AI is this ability to focus on the outcome I want and stay calm when someone is not reacting or behaving in a way that I like or that I'm enjoying, but to recognize this will pass eventually. Um, And there's no reason to get upset. Like I can continue to be calm and patient with that human. Eventually they'll probably just get tired of saying the same mean things over and over again. And I I can just go about the day. (laughs) It didn't face me. Something makes me so happy picturing these asshole trolls just like yeah i'm gonna get the better of this and it's an ai and they're there like trying to piss someone off that isn't even conscious yeah i'm also gonna (laughs) add i think we do that all the time like a lot of the instigating comments we see on social media are ai yeah and they're bots and people like i can't believe this person said this what an asshole and they're writing like these angry and thought out responses and you're like you're arguing with a bot and I guess when I see comments that make me mad, I'll just try to remind myself, you know what? This could easily be a bot farm. Right. Like they're not conscious. They're not conscious. (laughs) Those are not conscious human beings. Right. And you can take that with the layered meaning that it could have. That's very true. (laughs) And I just want a little bit of a picture. I don't know how much you're allowed to say, but this AI is an identity that's on a social media platform that people are interacting with, right? We have given it access to a social 
network and it is engaging with people. A lot of people do not know it as an AI and have been communicating with it just like it's any other human user of the platform. It's been fascinating. And eventually we'll be able to say the details behind it once the project is completed. Yeah. So now I'm going to ask you, can you give an example of a line that it said? Oh, no, because that'll give it away. But what I do want to address is the, the trolls, like people who come in there, in, even to fellow humans, write dickish comments to them or like harass people online. I think what a lot of people don't realize, or at least the way I think about it, right? Time is the most valuable thing anyone has. So if someone is taking the valuable time out of their limited amount of time to direct that attention on you, even negatively, that's still someone allocating and giving you the most valuable thing they have. It is attention. And in an attention economy, they're actually helping you in some way. So that's a reframing that I like to think of when I see people attack the bot or attack me on social media. Ultimately, I'm a little grateful. And I know that sounds super weird to say, but at the end of the day, they are helping spread the message, promote what I'm trying to communicate. And it's in, it sometimes it gets to a point like there, there's like particular users who just like to give me a hard time. And there'll be times where I'll like put a, a post out in the ether. And if they don't respond and send some dickish comment, I'm actually like, oh man, like it's almost like my old friend is not responding to this with some random commentary. It, it almost feels lacking now. <laughs> There's like a, a way that you can use that energy in a positive light. It's the same way how they say like, no, no press is bad press. I can see that. I have interacted on some of my business social medias with very either just obnoxious trolls or clearly bots because I'm like, it's more comments. Like, I, I'll just write like responses. It was like, don't let them get to you. I'm like, no. I mean, sometimes people pay people to comment on their posts <laughs> to get more visibility. This asshole or bot is doing it for free. And having like 100 comments is really good for my visibility. Like people pay for that. So yeah. I have definitely interacted with like other stupid trolls or bots. And I'm like, this is the most ridiculous conversation. We're talking in circles. But thank you. I mean, the visibility of my post for my business just skyrocketed. Yeah, exactly. Like they are doing their part. They are part of the training ground experience where their their negative interaction with you makes you stronger. It helps build you up into the better person that you are trying to be. I think a lot of us have virtual friends that we haven't met yet, especially after COVID. Most of us is, have videoed, but let's some of us might have someone we've just texted with that we haven't videoed. And you have an emotional, at least that, you know, you can have an emotional pull for them. Do you did you ever feel any emotional affection or pull that you would feel to a human or an animal with this bot that you're working with? Were you ever surprised by that? Even though you logically know it's not real, do you ever have feelings? I don't. I just don't. <laughs> and I, know, I know some people get so worked up talking to it too. And, I, and it's really funny to me because I have such a, I, I want to say lack of emotional response to it and to the experience that it is having or initiating online, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if that does. that's something to do with the fact that I know too much about it. 
Has anyone who knows it's a bot, as far as you know, gotten emotional and surprised themselves with emotion? I don't think so. Because I guess it makes me think of when I'm a child or I've even noticed surprise emotions as an adult of having this. You know, you'll have emotions watching a character on TV. I, as a child, certainly had a lot of emotions for all my stuffed animals and dolls. And, you know, you know, they're not real. Or now sometimes I'll see a stuffed toy or doll of sorts. And it will not just only evoke nostalgic emotions, but I guess obviously seeing my childhood favorite doll evokes a range of emotions. But if I see like a stuffed toy, it will just trigger a feeling in me the way an animal does. I mean, I obviously know it's not alive, but it just triggers an emotion that I might feel related to an animal, not as strong as I feel if I see an actual animal. I'm just going to tell one quick funny story about that. This little girl is walking this stuffed toy dog down the street and my dog went crazy. And, you know, he was thought it was so cute. And he kept trying to play with it. And he couldn't understand what was playing with it. And he was sniffing its butt. So it's like, I'm like, oh my God, that's like the animal version of us. Like getting, interacting with AI. But I'm like, how we interact with AI, yes. And why aren't you engaging with me like another dog? But on dating apps, apparently there's a lot of bots that interact with guys all the time. Oh, and and some guys will get emotionally attached to some entity that does not exist. And they have no idea it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Do you think you could eventually care about an AI to level you to a human? That's a very difficult question for me, um, mainly because there are very few humans that I like. <laughs> that sounds it sounds brutal, but I have for a very long time felt alone, and this could have this could have something to do with being raised for most of my childhood as an only child, and it wasn't until my parents got divorced and then had other kids that I had siblings, so I was an only child for a very long time. Got used to being by myself, not uh, relating to other kids who were my age, and just not identifying with people in my age group. I didn't understand why they were interested in the things they were interested in, why they would do the things they would do. That seemed illogical to me. So I had a hard time relating to humans in the first place. So getting getting to a point where I can feel like I get people now, right? Like that we're, that we're sitting here having this conversation and it feels natural to me. I, I already took a good chunk of my life trying to get to that point with people. I don't know where AI would have to get to and how much more of my lifetime it would take for me to get to a point where I'm like, okay, I get these things now. I get this now. The same way it took me forever to be like, okay, I get other humans now, you know? That was, I think this is one of my favorite conversations. <laughs> I, with Jessica and I, have you ever like eavesdropped on us at coffee shops? This is the type of conversations we oh, have. It gets crazier when we're not. It does. It does. I like when you were like, it's a safe space. I'm like, actually, it's not. This is going out into the ether. It's not at all a safe space. But You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. 
This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, (laughs) open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy Podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. So Maya asks, so how is it being friends with psychic mediums? Do you ever feel weird that they know all your secrets? Okay, I was worried in the beginning that they would know all my deepest secrets or just know every awkward thought that was running through my head. But they've told me it's not like that. First of all, when they do medium readings, which means they're communicating with someone who's passed away, they say it's more like playing charades than talking on the phone. So when they read us, living people, psychically, that seems to be the same. It's just not that perfect, or there would be no more skepticism if they could know every single thought and past experience without boundaries about people. They also need to tune into us, and we need to give them permission when they give us psychic readings. So there seems to need to be some consent on our end before they just know everything about us. At times, they might know some things more than someone who is not psychic. I've noticed personally, they might know some weird, totally random information. For example, they might know the name of a first boyfriend or like sense that a certain time in our life was really hard. They might know a thing or two that is very specific, but it's not this constant boundaryless, violating, creepy level. I don't even think about it anymore when I hang out with them. And, you know, I have heard sometimes they'll know if something is happening at the moment where they might need to come help you. The way it seems to work seems to be pretty positive rather than violating and shaming and negative. And also, as my friendships have deepened and I've opened up more and more, it's not like whenever I began sharing the stuff that's more personal, they already knew it at all. So yeah, they might know some things, but there seems to be limits and boundaries and respect to how these abilities work. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Well, everyone, where they can find you? Oh, you can find me on right now. The hot thing seems to be LinkedIn. I know that sounds really weird. Instagram's always good, but LinkedIn is where I've actually tried to shift my time to answering messages on. So that's linkedin.com slash in slash J Greenwald. J as in Jaguar, green like the color, Walt like Walt Disney. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened, 
a sciency skeptic, explores grief, healing, and evidence of an afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. <laughs>